You are listening to the National University Podcast. Hello, I'm Kimberly King. Welcome to the National University Podcast, where we offer a holistic approach to student support, well-being, and success, the whole human education. We put passion into practice by offering accessible, achievable, higher education to lifelong learners. Today, we're discussing how we achieve equality and the differences between equality and equity. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it says sameness versus fairness. And just an example, sometimes this distinction is explained with an illustration showing people of different heights using boxes to stand on in order to see over a fence. Equality is if all the boxes are identical, but equity is if the boxes are different sizes to permit the people, regardless of their height, the ability to see over the fence. We'll hear more of this with today's guest. Stay with us. On today's episode, we're discussing the differences between equality and equity, and we're joined by Dr. Elizabeth Banks. She is a professor of marriage and family sciences at National University. She earned her MS from East Carolina University and her PhD in marriage and family therapy from Syracuse University. In addition to teaching and mentoring, she's particularly passionate about equity, justice, inclusion, and reducing health disparities among historically marginalized groups. She's committed to promoting systems and relationships that enhance our ability to be authentic, congruent, and in just relationship with self, others, and context. And we welcome you to the podcast, Dr. Banks. How are you? I am well. Thank you for the lovely introduction. Excited to be here today. Well, we're excited to have you. Why don't you fill our audience in a little bit on your mission and your work before we get to today's show topic? Sure. Um, I guess my my mission is to highlight um, issues of injustice and um, for the for the purpose of promoting justice both in and out of the therapy room and also within the student learning experience. So, um, my hope is to keep issues of social justice alive in all aspects of our lives. And I love that you said in and out of the therapy because. Boy, we're in, a, in an interesting time in the world where uh, we were just talking before we started recording mm-hmm. about how difficult some of these conversations can be. So sure. you are really kind of a bridge to open up these conversations. Hope so. Yeah. It's not always That's- easy. Right. Well, today we are talking about how do we achieve equality? And so Dr. Banks, why mm-hmm. do we need to talk about equality and equity in general? Well, that's a big question, and I thought about that a lot before we, um, we, when I was preparing for this talk today, and I was thinking, try to, trying to put it in the most simple but most meaningful way, is that we don't live in a just world. And I think as a person who's interested in justice and is interested in progressing as a society, I think we, are, um, we need to um, talk about these things, because the, the more we talk about these things, the more we can make progress towards a more just world. And just for context as well, we were, I was asking you before we started recording, um, because this is obviously a conversation that has bubbled up in the past couple of years from the pandemic, from the Black Lives Matter, but you were always interested in this, weren't you? 
I was. Um, I think there was something I've always wanted to challenge myself. And I think I've had some life experiences um, pretty early on that made me interested in justice, that made me interested particularly in injustice and how certain people get, seemed to get certain things and certain people didn't seem to get certain things. And it depended on who you were, whether your stories were believed, whether you got certain things in life. And that really primed me from a very early age to want to think outside of the context in which I was raised. I think um, being being a white woman, being from the South, um, I was raised in a certain way and we certainly, and I don't mean that in a negative way, I was just raised in a certain way and we certainly didn't talk about injustice and um, particularly being white from the South. Um, I came from a family that was not overtly racist, but certainly covertly in the way that many white people are. And I think um, just my own experiences made me really want to challenge myself because I found, I found, I knew I had blind spots in this area. I knew that there was something that I was not getting about the way that the world worked, particularly when it came to things like race, when it came, came to things like gender. So I intentionally put myself in situations where I would be challenged. So my doctoral program, which was probably my most impactful experience, is I was, um, um, a white woman from the South coming to going to a program that was in the North and I was the only white person in the program and it was a two-year program and it was a it was a very very intense um, it was very very intensive social justice training and I was confronted with my privilege I was confronted with what it meant to be white in the world I was confronted with um, what it was to have marginalized and oppressed and also oppressive identities and that's something I've been pretty actively working on for about 20 years um, so I'm very excited in the last, you know, two or three years, not that I'm glad that bad things happen because bad things have happened, like many um, hot light coming to, you know, the police brutality, um, just a general lack of understanding of the rights of everyone. I'm sorry, I'm not saying that right. Um, mm -hmm. I think... Um, I think it's come up in the last couple of years and there's an opportunity here to have a conversation and to continue the conversation. And I'm very grateful that I've had exposure to these concepts and I've been doing this for a long time. And there's now the world is maybe a little more ready to listen to the, or have these types of conversations. Yeah. We are, I was just saying you were ahead of the curve, but it sounds like it happened to you because of your life experiences and what your knowledge that you gained uh, during that particular time. Why, why is it important to talk about equality and equity as a mental health professional? And that's um, a really good question because I, um, people ask me that all the time. Like I'll, I'll give presentations on uh, DEI or D diversity, equity, inclusion, and talk about being, um, looking at people's context. And people are like, what are you talking about? You're a therapist. You're supposed to just, you know, what does this have to do with therapy? What does this have to do with people's lived experience? And I would say, particularly as a marriage and family therapist, and we, we see ourselves as having a bio, we look at the biological psychological, social, and spiritual reality of our clients. So in other words, the biopsychosocial spiritual perspective. And in order to really understand someone's perspective, and you have to understand where they're situated in larger systems, in larger in the larger context. So if you truly want to be able to help people, you have to understand where they're coming from. And if you don't understand the, the larger systems of oppression and marginalization and subjugation and privilege in which we live, it's very difficult to truly um, build a bridge to someone else. And that's and it is a good point. We just talked about that too with that with where the world is today in the mental health and and you again have an opportunity to start these conversations. And while I'm while we're here, what is the difference between equality and equity? 
Sounds like a Great simple question. question. Yeah, but it has yes, um, It does. And I think a lot of people get this confused. So this is the way I understand it. Equality means everybody gets the same thing. Equity means um, people get what they need, right? Mm. So there's there's justice there. So the example that I came up with, and this was this is theme topical. I remember during um, when the COVID pandemic was at its height, um, we got I, I don't I don't know if everybody did, but I think but I think there was some COVID tax breaks or stimulus. There was a stimulus package, and everybody I think I if I'm understanding it correctly, like everybody got the same amount regardless of what their income was, um, you got a check from the government. That's equality. Everybody gets the same thing. So let's say that I get a check for $500. Um, that's going to mean something different to me than it is to someone who's living on the poverty line, mm-hmm. right? So $500 doesn't, doesn't is it, that's equality. So me and the person who lives in poverty, and I, and I don't live in poverty. I'm, a, I'm very privileged. I live a, a middle-class lifestyle. But let's say that I got $500 and the person down the street who doesn't make as much money as I do also got $500. That's equal, but that's not equitable. Does that make yeah. sense? So mm-hmm. an equitable would be only people who needed the money got right. the money. That's the best example I can think of. So maybe equality means everybody gets the same thing. Maybe an equity would mean only people who were under a certain tax bracket or people who could show that they needed the money or couldn't afford something by some type of means test, or the money would be um, calculated based on your income. So maybe I would get $10 and the person on the street who needed it more would get $500. That would be equity. So it's um, taking into account the person and not just everything being equal. So from where you started with you, and this is uh, really, I I didn't, you might not be prepared to answer this question, but I'm just curious from where you started and you really uh, started getting your passion for this and and, um, talking about uh, equity and uh, equality, where do you think the ball has moved in the world between when you first started, I think you said 2005 until now? Correct. I'd say the ball has moved Almost not at all <laughs> until really? the last two or three years. Yeah, because yeah. I think I've been I've been trying to have these conversations with people for eighteen years, mm. and I would say in the last unless I'm among a group of my peers and people who understand this stuff, um, up until two or three years ago, it was one hundred percent pushback. Um, people do not want to have this conversation. People get very offended, very upset, very defensive, and mm-hmm. it's just difficult. And I would say, in the last couple of years, when it's be- when it's become more visible, when we have um, people t- people talking about it, people talking about um, inequality or inequity, and how certain people tend to um, get maybe the benefit of the doubt more than another person would get the benefit of the doubt. That what is. is and we, Go ahead. Um, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Um, I was just, I was trying to think of an example um, where maybe one person would, I'm trying to think of a good example. Can you repeat the question? Well, you know, and my, my next question was sort of when you are, say, in a, just an intimate conversation with somebody or, or you because you are so aware of what mm-hmm. equity and um, and equality is, do you? How do you step outside of the, your realm as the professor and yet lend a hand to kind of bring somebody, say, without offending? How do you? Is yeah. there a formula? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had it. I'm still working on it. Yeah, I think um, I think it's always good to lead with validation, mm. right? 
because I think when you start talking about privilege, people get defensive because yeah. sometimes people think, oh, and this is kind of going into other questions, but um, this idea like, oh, I have, let's say that I say I have white privilege and I do. That doesn't mean that nothing bad has ever happened to me. That doesn't mean that my life has been perfect, that everything right. has been handed to me because it hasn't. Um, you can be poor. You can, you can have a history of trauma and you can be poor, but if you have white skin, that's just another aspect that you didn't have to deal with, right? So understanding, um, leading people, and I'm talking about race, I could be talking about any aspect of marginalization, but I'm thinking about how um, people say, well, I don't have white privilege or I don't have gender privilege because all these bad things have happened to me. So I think you have to lead with, I'm not saying that your life hasn't been hard. I'm saying that it's important for you to think through the eyes of the other. And if you can think about what it would be like to be someone else and try not to be defensive, try not mm -hmm. to defend yourself, try to absorb it and try to think about what I'm saying without needing to defend yourself. I think that's, that's hard to teach yeah. to not be defensive. I think, I think the way that, and I feel like I'm rambling now, but the way I feel like the way you you um, lead people in and make that conversation more pal palatable is to always lead with validation. Always lead with, I know you've had these things happen to you. I know you're a good person. No one's saying you're not a good person. I'm talking about a system of inequality and inequity that exists that we are all raised in. And mm -hmm. so you didn't do anything wrong. So let's say we're talking about race. Nobody, you did not go and sign up to be a white person. You did not mm -hmm. go and sign up to be a man or sign up to have anything. We all got these things and we can't help it. But we are afforded certain privileges based on that. And you can't, again, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything. But acknowledging what it means in the world is the first step to being able to connect better with others mm -hmm. and to have more meaningful and authentic relationships with others. That's a great, beautiful example. I like that. And and again, with validation and when just with sharing your stories and being just honest, but uh, compassionate. Sure. Uh, yeah. Honest, but compassionate, sensitive, but direct. Like, I, I feel you. I mean, I, I think, and I have this conversation for a while. I had this recent conversation with someone I really care about. Um, and I was saying, you know, like th these things tend to happen with privileged white people. And this person was like, what about just privileged people? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's privileged. Like, yes, privileged people, but whiteness has something to do with it because whiteness has, um, white people are more likely to be privileged around um, economics. Those are two separate things. But being able to separate out different aspects of identity is really important. And I'll give you an example of that, if that's okay. Yeah. So we all have intersecting pieces of identity. We all have places where we are subjugated, where we experience oppression, and we all have these experiences where we experience um, the opportunity to be a perpetrator, whether we know it or don't. So an example for me in my experience of understanding equity and inclusion and understanding privilege was understanding that the fact that I had never thought about race or never thought about myself as having a race was racist because mm. I thought of other people as having a race. Like race didn't really apply to me because I thought of myself as the norm. Mm. So many white people think that way because we're specialized. If you look at representation, you look around this, everything that is represented, at least from my perspective, generally what is what is normal, what is common is white people. 
And I thought of myself as the norm. I didn't think about myself as having a race. I thought as race applying to other people and understanding that even though that was good intentioned and even though there was no ill intent there, there was no me like actively saying, I don't like people of color. The fact that I didn't think about myself in terms of race and the fact that I didn't think about how my race or the perception of my race impacted my experience with others was a big epiphany and a very painful realization for me to realize. And I talk about these things, not like I try to always use myself as an example because it's a little less threatening. Yeah. Than yeah. saying you do this or think about this. I can tell yeah. you a thousand stories about how I've been racist and not known it of how mm -hmm. I've been oppressive and not known it. And I am ashamed of that. And I look back and I think, how can I do better going forward? And the way that I can do better going forward is being very self-aware, being able to interrogate myself, my, interrogate my assumptions, to think about why I think the way that I do. And when I realize that I'm holding on to an oppressive belief, I do what I can to push back against it. And also acknowledging, and again, I'm, I'm talking about race because that's just, it's what's salient and what's topical in my mind, is that we can't do better until we know what we're doing that may not be effective. So that requires that requires self-awareness and the ability to stay in the conversation even when it's uncomfortable and people don't like being uncomfortable. Right. But for change to happen, you have to allow yourself to be uncomfortable and be vulnerable, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I think there have been a lot of uncomfortable conversations in the past few years, for sure. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, this is great information. We have to take a quick break. So stay sure. with us. We will be right back in just a moment. And now a national university tip on getting started. For me personally, I knew I wanted to pursue a, a, an education due to what I wanted to do in, in life. But if I had to look back at somebody in my same position, I would tell them, for one, get rid of every reason why you can't go to school. Just deciding and then committing to it, the first place to start is, what do you enjoy? What do you care about? And if there's a degree, that you know you can translate that into, then let's go after that. If you're unsure, talk to somebody who's currently in school. If you're serving with somebody who's going to school, talk to them about it and what their experience is like. The thing is I truly believe as far as the general education, it's a perfect time to develop an understanding of what you wanna do. It helps you figure out what you wanna do. There's always going to be room to adjust, to make changes. And so looking at anybody who was sitting in my position and they're thinking about going to school, I would tell them to go down to that college office. They can guide you and, and help you figure out what it is or ways that you can make it happen. And now back to our interview with Dr. Elizabeth Banks. And we're talking about what does equality mean and the difference between equality and equity. And so, Dr. Banks, it's been really interesting to hear your path, your pathway to follow your passion and, and teach people about this. And, and we were just talking a little bit off air about um, the level of merit and how there, I guess we've, it can be confusing too. Where, where is the line? And I, um, I guess some people think that, you know, work could reach a certain level of, of success, with, but they could also be defensive that someone didn't work as hard. What would you sure. say to that? I think that's a great question. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for the opportunity to give my opinion on that. Looking at, so this idea of merit, I think the idea of merit assumes an equal playing field. And I think we don't have an equal playing field. 
So let me just back up because I'm a history nerd and um, because I wrote these things down. And this is just this is an example that I think I hope um, talks about kind of talks about what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So looking back, let's go all the way back to 1776. Right. So we have the Declaration of Independence in 1776. The only people's rights that were considered were the uh, white male landowners. That was 1776. Um, African-Americans were enslaved. Women were considered property. Children were considered property. Um, same in 1787 when we had the United States Constitution. Neither of those documents, which are the founding documents of our country, acknowledge the experiences of anyone but white male landowners as real human beings. Um, so we ha we've had progress since then, right? So we had black men got the vote in 1870. That was the 15th Amendment. Um, women supposedly black women as well, but we'll get to that in a minute. Women got the right, the right, the right, the right to vote in 1919, which was, um, I think it was 1920, actually, 1920 at the 19th Amendment. It wasn't until 1965 <laughs> that, pe that people were able to vote without harassment, right? Wow. So from 1870 until 1965, those, I'm not great at math, but I'm pretty sure that's 95 years. It was... Um, it was common practice, particularly in the southern states, to not just to harass, to intimidate, to be belligerent, to somehow prevent not just black people, but most of the time black people, black people and women of color. Um, there was all kinds of things that were done to prohibit them or, or keep them from voting, like putting dogs on them, um, hoses, literacy tests. There's a story. I don't know if anybody's seen the movie Selma, which is a dramatic reenactment of the um, right before the Voting Rights Act in 1965 of a black woman that went to vote and was told that she had to recite the Constitution. Hmm in order to vote and she or the preamble to the constitution and she kept going back and they kept telling her that and she memorized it and she went back and she recited the preamble and they still found a reason not to let her vote so i give her i give this example as this idea that we don't live with a level playing field and that even though the laws have changed so in 1965 it became illegal to use those discriminatory practices um, against people they didn't want to vote and i want to i want to emphasize it wasn't just black people and it wasn't just women it was also poor people it was also anyone who they decide it could be um poor white people anyone who they decided that probably should be prohibited from voting or not the right kind of person that they wanted voting for a leader um, that happened, that was not illegal until 1965. Mm -hmm. And in the last couple of years, like from 95 years from 1870, from, from black men getting the right to vote, it was 95 years before they could vote without being harassed or discriminated against or had dogs um, sicked on them, be met with violence when they were trying to vote. So if you think about that, that's 1965. That's not within my lifetime, but it is within my parents' lifetime and certainly within my grandparents' lifetime. And during, so up until 1965, it was completely legal to intimidate people from voting, mm -hmm. to keep them from voting. And voting is really the most um, fundamental thing about being in a democracy. It's very important in our society. So if you think about it, um, so between, um, so 1965, we had the Voting Rights Act. Up until, um, I don't know if you're familiar with redlining, in 1933, when white people, when really middle class white people were getting the right to, were getting um, grants to buy homes, and which was um, promulgated, um, promulgated, that is not even a word that I'm trying to use, promoting people into the middle class, um, black people were systematically um, denied loans because of who they were. And they weren't allowed to move into certain neighborhoods. They um, There was a discriminatory, pra discriminatory practices of only lending to white people or only lending to people who lived in certain neighborhoods, which were predominantly white. 
So we think about all of these institutional things in place that where it wasn't just white people out there being mean or men being mean to women. It wasn't, that wasn't what it was. It was systems of oppression that were designed to keep some people at the top and some people at the bottom. So yes, there is merit in going back to what we're talking about. But in order for there to be true merit, our systems have to be set up in a way that there is a level playing field. And that is not the case. So it used to be in 1933, and of course these laws, it's, it's illegal now to, it, housing discrimination is illegal, but there's the new redlining is people, bank, there's still discrimination banking. So black people are far less likely to get a home loan than white people. The most, gener- the most um, common way to accumulate wealth or generation wealth, generational wealth is through home ownership. Black people have been systematically denied the ability to accumulate wealth through home ownership up until the last couple of decades. So yes, there is merit. Merit is important. Working hard is important. But for some people, it doesn't matter how hard they work. They're not going to get ahead. So until we have a system where everybody can succeed at the same level, where you can put in the same amount of work and reach the same um, outcome, then we need equity because we're not there yet. I was looking um, before our conversation today, I was looking up and trying to remember what I remember everything I knew about redlining so that I could talk about it. And the newest thing is the new redlining is they there's still discriminatory housing practices and there's still discriminatory banking practices. There's still active institutional discrimination preventing people from accumulating generational wealth. Mm -hmm. So, yes, work hard. Working hard is really important. And if you work hard and you look a certain way, it's going to be easier for you to get the things that you want. Is and someone someone who looks like me can work hard and get farther in life um, at a quicker pace than someone who has brown skin. No matter even if we work the same amount. So here's another example. This is a fairly recent study, and I can look up the study if you want me to. But I, I found this. They did a um, uh, employment discrimination um, study where they had two people who were ex- who had the exact same education, the exact same experiences. Of course, they had fake people. It's a research study, but one of them was a black man, one of them was a white man, and they did these different studies. The black man with no criminal record was less likely to get the job than a white man with a felony. Hmm. Same job, same experiences. So the idea of merit is great. But we have a system that doesn't recognize merit as much sometimes as it does um, how people are situated within social systems. And I think it's, um, thank you for explaining that. And then even pulling back the history on that. I think that's also been missing where we are today, but then really knowing where we've come from. And people either want to wipe that part out or just not open their ears to hearing that, yes, those practices in some cases still are happening today. So, um, and especially for our kids who didn't grow up in the sixties and didn't see that the segregation, um, you know, for them, it's just a lesson out of the history book, but you know, there, uh, we have come a certain amount, but we still have a long way to go. It sounds sure. And I, if I could just say what other yeah. thing about that, I think we had the sense of saying, well, I didn't own slaves or I didn't do that. You know, this has nothing to do with me. That's true. Um, that's absolutely true. It is not your fault. You did not personally um, enslave anyone. And um, for some people have benefited from a system in which generational wealth was built on the backs of people who couldn't accumulate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. What? So on this note, um, what can you explain what is privilege? Great question. Glad you asked. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do the, the most simple example that I could think of. And that is... Um, can I tell you first what it doesn't mean? Sure. 
So it does not mean that nothing bad has ever happened to you. It does not mean that you weren't poor. It doesn't mean that your life is perfect, that no one has ever hurt you. Only thing that privilege means is that there are certain things that you haven't had to deal with because of who you are. That's all that means. Okay. So um, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. So I am a white middle-class cisgender woman. I have experienced trauma. I have experienced gender-based oppression. I have not experienced racial oppression or class-based oppression. I have white middle-class privilege because I don't have to deal with racial or class oppression. Okay. That's all that means. Okay. In simple ways. And it's true. I, I, you know, I mean, there are things, I'm white as well. And I have a, a dear friend of mine who is black. And during the Black Lives Matter, she did confront me and said, uh, you know, asked me what I thought about that. And I, you know, I, I think my mistake was saying that I feel like everybody's life matter, you know, and, and I think she wanted to be heard. So what would you say to that? Um, because I wasn't trying to not hear her, but I have yeah. a, a niece who has special needs and I was trying to bring up that I, I really was trying to say, I, she's a dear friend of mine because of who she is, not what she looks like. And I think yeah. that offended her even more. Um, yeah. so how yeah, I understand it came from a great wrong. place. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, I think that's such an interesting thing. Cause I've come across that a lot. Like, well, how come everybody's life doesn't matter? Yeah. Um, because it's obvious that white lives matter. It's, we don't have to say it because people with white, um, people with white skin, typically when things happen to them, you know, if, it, um, it's acknowledged. So, um, I saw, I saw this great meme, like how come, um, how come we don't have, um, cemeteries for alive people well because we don't need them right we don't say all lives matter because we don't have to say all lives matter we do need to say black lives matter because black lives have been devalued so um it's not necessary like i understand like you came from such a good place and, and this is actually a really good example and i have another example if that's okay that sure, actually yeah. really dovetails nicely with what uh with what you're saying so here's my example we all have places of marginalization. So it sounds like for your niece, her marginalization is ability status, mm -hmm. right? right? So different um, different um, aspects of identity are more salient in different situations. So let me tell you my example. So let's say that I am a um, black cisgender homosexual woman, right? And actually, let me let me make the other person out. Let's say that let me make a better example because because we're having, we're in a conversation here. So let's say you have a niece that has a disability, and I um, am gay. Let's say that that is that is the case. So we we are talking, and you say something to me that I experience as homophobic, right? Mm. And I'm feeling offended by something you said, and I feel the need to confront you on that. Like you know that thing that you just said, it just really didn't feel good, and I just let let's talk about that. In that situation, in that particular instance, we all have issues, places of marginalization and oppression. And let me say, unless let me assume without knowing anything about you that you're straight. I don't know that you are, but let's just assume that you are. And let's mm -hmm. just, let's say that I'm gay. Um, so in this situation, my place of oppression is my sexuality, is my sexual orientation. And in this and in this situation, my place of oppression is sexuality. And in this situation, your place of oppression or marginalization. Is sexuality or sexual orientation so we have to look at it one you know the, the interactive we have to think look at one thing at a time so i am challenging you on 
sexual orientation, uh, something that you said that offended me on sexual orientation. If I challenge you from that place, you need to come back at me from that place of privilege of, oh, I am straight. And I can see how that might have offended you without mm-hmm. saying, but if you say to me, you know, but my, but my niece has special needs and, um, you know, like I understand what it's like to be oppressed. Um, I can never hold you accountable in conversation. Because it's not from the same, it's not from the same place. Same place. Yeah. Okay. So in that situation, it sounds like, and again, and I'm sure that you love her and that she's a wonderful friend and I don't mean this to be critical at all, but it sounds like in this particular situation, what she needed you to say was like, wow, I hadn't thought about that. And it must be really hard for you instead of coming to her. So you came to her and this happens all the time, right? This is not you. But this happens in conversations all the time where I come to you for my place of marginalization. If you come back to me from your place of marginalization, which is on a different topic, we just missed each other. Yeah. I can't hold you accountable. We can't have a conversation. There can't be any connection because that's a little bit of a defensive place. Right, right. It's a lot harder to say, wow, that was a crappy thing that I just said. Well, you know, and and that is interesting too. And I, this is probably because of the privilege of where I've grown up and I'm not in the South. I'm in Southern California, but um, the same person, and this is another example. And I don't don't mean to come from a defensive place, but I I will tell you from a very honest place. Um, I was on the board of directors. I won't say who it was. It was a nonprofit. And I remember inviting um, my friend and her husband to the event. Uh, and it was, it was all white people. I didn't even notice it. Didn't even, of course, didn't even cross my mind until we were in a buffet line. Uh, it was a, it was a fundraising dinner and a, an older gentleman turned around and said, who basically, I don't, not word for word, but who invited you to my friend? And I was so taken aback because I've never seen that right in front of my face here in Southern California. And I almost started crying and I said, I'm so sorry that that just happened to you. We're done. We're leaving. And I, I got myself off the board uh, because I didn't, I, I saw it firsthand and it was really offensive at all. You did the right thing. Oh my gosh. But to this day, you know, anyway, Uh, we've, we've had, it's still very hurtful because we haven't spoken and I, I feel badly. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, I, I do. So I appreciate this conversation and I feel like so she's, she's mad at you because of that. Not because of that. I think because of how I reacted during the, you know, I didn't say what she needed okay. me to say, but anyway, and, that, I, and I would, and, and then you didn't ask me, but I would continue to reach out. I think there's a relationship of strength there. Cause you've just, she might be upset because you didn't say the right thing. I think there's value in coming back and saying, you know what? I can see why that might have upset you, and yeah. I want to let you know that that I am I'm open to um to re- reconsidering this. Okay. And I think there there's value in that, and there's connection in that, and I totally get where you're coming from, and I think it's a hard conversation to have, and right. particularly because I've had, and I will be honest, I have had lots of conversations where I did the wrong thing or said the wrong thing and faced some relational consequences for that, and had to do that repair, and I didn't know what I'd done wrong. Right. Like when right. I was at a period, I'm like, well, but. Like, I don't understand. And I think sometimes it's hard to be, particularly when you're constantly in a marginalized position, which sounds like your friend is, particularly as a black person and a black woman of color, that maybe she gets tired of explaining that. Yeah, that could be. That could be. And I I hate that that has some relational consequences, but I also would encourage you to, if you feel called to go back and say, you know, I've thought about it and I can see 
why you might have reacted that way. And I'd love to to talk about it if you want to. Okay, good. That's great advice. And I appreciate that because it still is really hurtful to me because she has been yeah. a dear friend and I feel like I lost yeah. a, a best friend. What so what yeah. else can, can we do as a community? And that and I appreciate the the sidebar for me, you know, just specifically, yeah. but what can yeah. we do moving forward? I think the first step is acknowledgement. And mm-hmm. the first step is thinking about who you are and how it's afforded you certain privileges and really trying to look at yourself from the outside and being open asking for other people's feedback and being open to receiving it. I think yeah. that's hard. I think, um, I think it is a natural, um, it's a natural thing to be defensive. It's a natural thing to, it's a natural thing to be like, but look at all these good things that I did and look at all these ways that I'm a good person. Right. And I think not defending yourself and really trying to look at it from the perspective of the other. And it's, it's very natural to want to defend yourself. Like I want to defend myself too, but right. wanting to um, like really kind of developing a self-awareness and allowing Allowing someone else's experience of you to impact you. I think um, that's the first part. Being okay with being uncomfortable, which is probably the hardest part because we hate being uncomfortable. Right. I hate being, no, I'm not any different. I also hate being uncomfortable. It's not like <laughs> I have some kind of special skill. I just learned to tolerate it. And yeah. once I learned to tolerate it and sit with it and really allow people to tell me how they experienced me, my life changed. Yeah, and I let out. Um, I I was I've been able to develop much more meaningful connections with other people. It really has changed the way that I look at the world and the way that I relate to people. You know, and even a simple, how are you doing? You know, that just bringing it down to just, and that's being a compassionate, a good listener, a friend, um, and and again, I say this to to all, but really wanting to hear the answer rather than going, yep. Okay, great. Everything's good. Bye. You know, I mean, cause that's also yeah. the world we live in on it. Shoot your text. Yeah. Is everything good? Good. But to be able to sit with it and, and understand how are they doing? And that's funny that you said that because there's a saying, I don't know if it's a Southern thing, but it's definitely a Southern thing where I live and it drives me crazy <laughs> where, I mean, it really, it makes me insane. And people do this all the time. People will say, how are you? And the response in this area is fine. Hope you are. Oh wow! It like, sounds like a brush off. Yeah, it's like it does. It does to me. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm good. I don't care if you are, but <laughs> right. But I have other things to do, and you don't matter to me, or something. Like, it does sound sort of like <laughs> you yeah. are. It's very much like um, don't care, don't tell me. <laughs> right, right, and that's but what I'm think, saying. Like, so many people yeah. can say, "How are you doing? How really? How are you doing?" You know, and it's just a matter of mm-hmm. being able to receive how they're doing. You know, and sometimes people mm-hmm. want to unload, and or you know, just say, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> fine, bye, see you later." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really, I think listening, listening, yeah, listening. And being open, and being able to look at yourself, which right. are things that are not definite, they're not socialized into as well. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation, Dr. Banks. Thank you so much for your time. And if you want more information, you can visit National University's website, nu.edu, for more information. And we look forward to your next visit. Thank you. You've been listening to the National University Podcast. For updates on future or past guests, visit us at nu.edu. You can also follow us on social media. Thanks for listening.